0: Hello there. You are listening to TCK Care, the podcast with me, your host, Stephen Black, as we discuss TCK related issues. Speaking of which, today we are getting back to the subject of addictions with a two part conversation with addictions counselor, Reese Pasimio. If you begin listening to this podcast and you think this sounds out of context, why? That's because it is. The first part of this conversation was aired a week ago and we talked a lot about what an addiction actually is and how one might uh come by an addiction and some of the different things that people uh use for their addiction. And today that is where we will p- be picking up and talking about some of the things that people use in their addictions. But before we get started, I just wanted to offer by way of explanation that I wanted to have this conversation not because I think that all TCKs necessarily uh, experience addiction or are even going to. But I think that addiction can be a much broader conversation than uh, just talking about, you know, uh, uh, an addiction to an illegal substance, for example. Last week we talked about how addictions are really compulsions. It's compulsive behavior that someone uses to manage with uh, an in- inordinate amount of uh, stress or pain or grief or loss or something like that. And there is a fair amount of uh, stress and grief and loss and that sort of thing in uh, the classic TCK experience. And there, is a, there can also be a whole lot of relational instability. And so my theory is that the TCK experience, the classic TCK experience, may lend itself to developing addictive behavior. But if we know that, if we're aware of that, and can recognize some of those patterns that start emerging when you experience stress and need to manage that stress, then you can steer away from unhealthy patterns of behavior and begin implementing healthier ways of living. So without further ado, let's get into it. And then if I can just highlight something, Reese, you would... uh, You'd brought up that four-letter F word several times now, which is food. Like we're talking about addictions here, and you're talking about food. Uh, can you can you explain why that would be?
1: Right, uh, talking about food is, is good because I, I also talk a lot about sex and uh, sex and food. They they have a lot of peculiar similarities. Um, so with it, when talking about addictions, we we. Can pretty easily recognize, you know, the, the chemical addictions. Those are the common, the classic ones. You know, alcohol, cannabis, meth, cocaine, heroin, hallucinogens, mushrooms. All of those. There are also what we call the process addictions, and those are the things that are things you do uh, with your body or outside of your body that still trigger those same chemicals inside. So we'll mention gambling we'll mention sexual behaviors we'll mention uh food especially um sexual addictions in particular um they they are very pleasurable experiences they they trigger they trigger dopamine they trigger they trigger oxytocin um i mean substance abuse that doesn't trigger oxytocin necessarily but it triggers dopamine Mm -hmm. and it's that that dopamine high that the addicted person is really after through whatever means they can get it and we do notice that that um, when a person starts a recovery process, they might bounce from addiction to addiction to addiction mm-hmm. because they haven't quite learned how to go without that dopamine high. All that to say. So when we eat, it's pleasurable. It's soothing. It's satiating. Mm-hmm. And there's there's dopamine that comes out of that. Mm-hmm. And there's a feeling of internalized comfort. And mm-hmm. that is really appealing. Um, you know. I'm thinking. I mean, you come home, I come home at the end of the day, and I'm just like, I want carbs. I want carbs. I <laughs> yes. want sugar. I want that brownie and that ice cream. Granted, it's coconut bliss, so technically healthy, but uh, <laughs> but um, but but I want I want I want that little bit of bit of pleasure. Yeah. And and it's not that ice cream is bad, or that a little dessert is bad. It's when it starts having a function. In your life, as I'm not eating to live, I'm not eating because I'm hungry. I'm not eating to connect with people over a shared meal. I'm eating because I don't want to feel sad. Mm-hmm. That's problematic eating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we can we can kind of trace this. We can say with with an addiction, different different experiences accomplish different things, and so we'll say there's there's those behaviors that are very excitatory and, and arousing. So our, our, our uppers, things like, things like meth, things like cocaine, things like adrenaline and, mm-hmm. and risky behavior. Mm-hmm. There's the downers. There's the, 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 depressants, the, the numbing agents. So things like alcohol, like opiates, mm-hmm. like food can be here too. Um, uh, you know, some sexual behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's going to be the more fantasy dissociation, hallucination oriented, um, neuropathways. So you've got your, your mushrooms, your, your, uh, psychedelics, your pornography, your, your fantasy oriented things. Um, and then there's going to be the, the deprivation pathway that's accessed, uh, through things like anorexia, um, uh, where you deprive yourself of things for a sense of control. Hmm. Um, all there's, there's a different addictions that come through all of those. And, and again, all of it comes down to, uh, the person is engaging in the behavior to try to achieve a particular effect and to try to cope with a particular stressor. And you can actually learn a lot about a person through what they addict to, um, go, going on what what the function is. You know, if a yeah. person's drawn to something like alcohol you know, because they want to depress and they want to numb out, you can say, well, is that because you're feeling too overwhelmed and too stressed in some other area of your life? Mm-hmm. You know, if a person's drawn to something like, like methamphetamines, because they want to be aroused and excited, we can say, "Well, are you are you bored? Are you depressed? Are you, you know, feeling aimless in your life?" and that's that's what you need to to compensate for that. Gotcha. That's that's fascinating. I would I would wonder, Stephen, um, asking asking into the the TCK TCK world, um, what do you feel like are some of the most prominent emotional needs or like emotional woundings that happen.
0: Hmm. I feel like the T- in the TCK world, some of the most prominent woundings are um, a sense of isolation in that a TCK, for example, um, a white American going to the heart of Africa, they're white, They're so they're a minority all of a sudden for the first time in their life. Um, they're surrounded by a language that they don't understand and a culture that they don't understand. And so they feel deeply alone in that. And then they spend a number of years there, perhaps for for TCK especially, they grow up there and they become acclimated to that culture and then they have this altered neurology where they're actually not fully American anymore and they don't fully own this culture. Then to come back into this culture, they realize that they're not coming home and they wonder in that moment if they ever will Um, and they feel deeply, deeply alone. And so both going and coming back, there's a feeling of isolation. Um, There can also be like a lot of just, uh, a lot of stress. Um, I've heard so many stories of people who, you know, families who really believe so strongly in what they do and for good reason, because they are trying to make the world a better place. Um, It just brings them into areas of the world that are more dangerous. Um, And in being in that place, they're susceptible to things like violence and political unrest and stuff like that um and so there's so much uh stress that goes on with that and then there's a lot of relational loss and um, so those are a lot of the woundings that i would anticipate um a typical tck might face uh,
1: yeah yeah i you you talking a lot about the, the the attachment again or the the relationships forming and having to unform mm-hmm. and I was even thinking too about when you're talking about being say that that white kid in Africa and now everything's different and I need to just, uh, I hear you talking about it, developing a sense of hypervigilance where I just need to be paying attention all of the time to everything. And I don't know what's what, and I don't know what's coming next. And, yeah. um, I am thinking about one, one particular friend who, you know, his family, uh, you know, they, they served in South America for, for a time and, um, and a lot of their story was a lot of upheaval. like they had to move several times because of floods and, mm-hmm. you know, they had, um, you know, pregnancy difficulties while they were down there mm-hmm. and, um, you know, uh, on top of, on, and just all of the, all of the stuff yeah, that comes with living in South America and, um, yeah. And there, there was a huge amount of stress and then, you know, they're disconnected from, from the community and there's like not a lot of people down there. So, um, yeah. So, you know, when, when it came out like, oh yeah, he's got an addiction, uh, kind of makes sense. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking about one of the, one of the things you, one of the questions you would done about me before was there's this idea that if you struggle with addiction, you shouldn't be in ministry or you right. shouldn't be in the mission field. And, my my thought on that, and again, this is coming from a clinical perspective. I've never been in full-time ministry, much less in the mission field. So I'm I'm welcome, I'm open to uh disagreements on this. But I don't know. My thought is, you know, if we fired everybody who struggled with addiction for ministry, we'd have like two people left in ministry. <laughs> and one of them would probably be my grandmother. So <laughs> uh it it just, it's such a, such a pervasive reality Mm -hmm. that I don't think that shaming people for it is, is helpful. It it should be, should be a a different thing where someone said it should be where someone can come forward and say, I have this problem and they should be welcomed and given support. Mm Um, you know, maybe that means recalling them. Um, Mm -hmm. but maybe it means sending someone out to them or maybe it just means shifting some things around. Um, definitely shouldn't be, I mean, we shouldn't punish people for being open and vulnerable right. about their struggles and their feelings yeah, and, absolutely. and their needs. Yeah. So so I, I would lean the direction of, no, I mean, you shouldn't, just for struggling, that shouldn't on its own necessarily disqualify a person. Now, I would say it has to be a struggle. And if a person's acting out is is out of control, it's causing unmanageability, it's causing damage, and they're not willing to look at it, they're being unrepentant and really proud and not humble about it. That that's a problem. That person should not have been in ministry. Should not be in ministry anyway, right? But probably for more reasons than just that. Um, but if the person's, you know, you know, repentant and trying and trying and trying and and all that, maybe depending on their role, um, that doesn't necessarily need to be need to be the deal breaker. Um, I mean, it'd be a little different if we're talking like church planting and church leadership. Um, but, but, and then, to counter myself, kind of the other variable to think about, and I'm thinking back to 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 my friends who are in South America, is, um, like you said, I mean, the missions of the environment is really rigorous. Yeah, you're in a constant state of change and upheaval, a constant state of alert and and vigilance. And there's a lot of isolation. There's yeah. a lot of pressure to look put together and look like you've got things under control to be the spiritual leader. Um, so there's a lot, you know, that pressure, that isolation, the shame if you fail. Mm-hmm. Uh it is kind of an environment that's really ripe for developing an addiction or a compulsion. So mm-hmm. so I don't know. Not that presence of an addiction needs to be like a deal breaker or like a way to weed people out of the field, because that would be kind of unrealistic. Mm-hmm. But it would be a consideration saying, you know, maybe not everybody, maybe not everybody's meant for Africa. Maybe mm-hmm. not everybody's meant for the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Or maybe Maybe term lengths need to be done differently, or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm speaking out of my competency zone here, <laughs> telling missionaries how to be missionaries. Very bad. <laughs> but, um,
0: but this is an important question, and I think I like the way you're handling it. And in that, you know, we do want to talk about, um, we do want to address these issues because I feel like there are a lot of people in ministry who feel like, like you said, they the uh, the need to look uh, to look healthy and to look uh holy and to look like they've got things put together. And that in itself um is its own stressor. And so that just kind of compounds this, the underlying stress of just daily life and stuff that goes along with living in a foreign culture and foreign country and stuff like that. I would not be surprised if people second guess themselves and said, I'm struggling with this. And, you know, is it right for me to be here? And yeah, on one hand, that's between you and God. But on the other hand, like Reese is saying, if everybody who struggles with stress um, were removed from ministry, then game over. (laughs) We'd be done. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I don't know. What do you think about this? So it seems to me that if it's a struggle, going back to what you're saying, if it's a struggle, then your heart is in the right place. That you're struggling against this thing that you see in yourself, this compulsion, this urge, this... Uh, this long to be comforted, to be satisfied, to escape whatever you're dealing with. And you know that, you know that that's a problem. And so you want out of it. You want, you want a a new way of living, a new way of doing life. And you want freedom from that, from that compulsion, from that feeling. And so your heart is in the right place in that you want something, you want something better. You want something healthy. And it's when you move past that and you don't even care anymore. That's when it would really be an issue. Not, only for missions, but probably, I would imagine, for any vocation, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, that position of unteachability, of unwillingness to change, what we clinically call pre contemplation. Like they're not even contemplating that they have a problem. Mm. That's a very dangerous spot to be in. And it's, it's frustrating for the people around them who want to help them, who see better than they do what the problem is. Um, but that's also a place where, like, you can't argue a person out of that spot. They kind of just have to. They have to journey through that spot to where they they get to the point where they know they need to change. And at that point, you know, Lord have mercy, help them not to die. Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: And then I guess, reset that takes me into my final question. Unless you can think of something else that we need to cover that we haven't yet already, okay. but um, what does uh, where does healing begin? We've talked about uh, where do addictions begin. Now, where does healing begin mm. when a person listens to this podcast and says? you know what, I have never been addicted to crack, but I do have an addiction to food. And this is a struggle, and I don't know how to get out of this. Where does,
1: where does the journey of healing begin? Short answer in relationship, particularly secure relationship. Mm-hmm. It, it needs to be both secure relationship with others and secure relationship with your own self. Uh, and ultimately, secure relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of touching on each of those. So, so the secure relationship with your own self means um, minimally developing what we might call emotional resilience, where you get a sense for here's what my feelings are, here's what feeling words are, here's how to use them in context, and developing the skill. And it very much is like learning another language, like learning to say, oh. I'm having this and that body sensation, and this and that, like, you know, urge within me. Oh, that's sadness. Mm. I feel sad. Mm-hmm. Wow, I feel sad. Uh, and being able to really own that—that's what you feel. And, you know, it can be easy to, you know, to be like like a lifeboat on a stormy sea, just cast about, tumbled and turned, and really overwhelmed by that emotion. Uh, to be resilient to it doesn't ignore it. Doesn't minimize it or or shame about it, but it can also withstand it, mm-hmm. um, like the like the rocks of the coast. Mm-hmm. Um, the waves crash over them, you know. Over time, they they influence them, but but for by and large, the rocks remain stable. Um, mm-hmm. That's a picture of resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, secure relationship with others. You know, that's where you talk about. You know, we can have emotional authenticity with each other. Um, mm-hmm. But in Interpersonal neurobiological terms we'll call attunement mm-hmm. you know I'm present with you making eye contact and judging by what you're saying in your body language I can get a fairly accurate read on what your internal world is right now and what you're feeling and I can respond to that with care and compassion and not be overwhelmed by it and you can do that for me and in order for me to do that for you I need to first not be overwhelmed by my own internal world mm-hmm. um, that's a journey that's a long journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's part of the journey that needs to happen for secure relationships that will then also be part of the healing from addictions and compulsions. Because a lot of, again, a lot of addiction and compulsion, it's it comes from an intolerance of one's reality, especially one's internal reality. Um, and when you can develop a tolerance for that, you don't need to escape it anymore and can, in fact, become enriched by it. Mm-hmm. Um and most of all too is is you know having a right relationship with God, being able to be open to the voice of the spirit and to pursue pursue holiness, to master the passions to to grow in greater unity with christ and um you know the you know the ancient church fathers they they would talk about they didn't use the term addiction, but they would talk about the passions, they would talk about the appetites and they mm-hmm. would talk about you know waging war with these passions you know all of their lives with mm-hmm. fasting with prayers with psalms with community with sacraments and and in the end you know prevailing and, yeah. and attaining to to a degree of holiness and um and in that growing 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 in unity with Christ growing in godlikeness likeness right um that's the Christian walk. The Christian walk is one of, you know, repentance and humility and, and seeking after Christ and in community, right? In community. community Communities are very essential for this because, um, yeah, you just, you can't do this on your own. Your, your brain is a set of patterns that have been created by people and they're not going to be recreated without people.
0: Hmm. Wow. Yeah. This is, yeah, I love that. So healing begins in relationship and, it, it's a it's a process of um, of accepting yourself and accepting others and trusting that they are going to accept you too, and um, that means talking to people probably not just about your addiction but your about your about your whole self and about yourself honestly too, right? And yeah, being real about your emotions and your experience, and sometimes those emotions are extremely negative. But again, we gotta trust that we're gonna have negative emotions sometimes, and you've gotta be okay with that in yourself and be okay with that in others too. Em- negative emotions not the end of the world, so
1: definitely not the end of the world. They're a major part of the world. Um, yeah. Actually, I w- I would I don't even like talking about emotions in terms of positive or negative anymore because mm. uh, it, it it polarizes them. And sure, yeah, and, it's and, a good point. Yeah, it makes more sense to talk about comfortable or uncomfortable, mm. or in more intense, less intense emotions. Yeah, but. Yeah, I mean, God created our emotions. He yeah, created true. us to have them, and they all have a really adaptive functional purpose in our life. We can learn a lot from them. Right? Yeah.
0: Oh, and then going back to something else, I just wanted to uh, something you had said earlier made me made me um think of Hebrews where it talks about how Jesus is, you know, the perfect high priest who's completely sympathetic with uh with our struggles because he's been there and he he knows what we've been through. The Bible says that he was tempted in every way that we are. And so um yeah and so Jesus is completely sympathetic with ourselves and so we are now have an opportunity as the body of Christ to do that with each other and to be sympathetic with each other and so this is definitely not a podcast of judgment at all by oh, any definitely means. and not. I hope you're not getting that as you're listening into this um uh, we just we are here to uh support you and to uh create content that is here for you to support others. Um, If you know of someone who's struggling, uh, perhaps this can be an encouraging podcast to give to them to listen to, to think about ways that um, struggling can hurt or struggling can possibly uh, make you stronger and make you more resilient, like Reese was talking about. Um, And so, uh, Reese, would it be appropriate for people to contact you if they listened to this and they were like, oh yeah, I should talk to those guys and like, Talk about my addictions and see if where I can get help. Would that be absolutely? I would
1: really love that. Okay. And and again, yeah, emphasizing what you said. I mean, this is totally a non-judgmental place. Uh, you know, I'm the chief of sinners, and I have my own recovery story. I mean, I have addictions in my personal life, and mm-hmm. um, and so I'm absolutely not in a position to judge anyone or call anyone worse. Um, but yes, I would love. I love talking about this. I'm kind of a nerd that way. Yeah. So um, if anyone wants to reach out to me, they can uh, look at my website, which is um, newpatterncounseling.com, uh, newpatterncounseling.com, and, or you can email me at Reese, which is spelled R-H-Y-S, at newpatterncounseling.com, uh, R-H-Y-S at newpatterncounseling.com, and um I'd be happy to dialogue about any of this. I think it's a really important topic, and there's clearly so much more that we didn't get to today. <laughs> a lot of yeah. nuances, but right. uh, yeah, I, I like this.
0: Yeah, great. And then I will post a couple of resources, too. I'll put a link to Reese's website in case you need that, and I'll post a couple links perhaps to some other counseling services or something that you could look into if you feel like this is something that you're struggling with or that you know someone is struggling with, or you just need to know what those resources are you need someone to talk to about some of these issues. Um, if you'd like to talk more about anything that we've been talking about, like Reese was saying, you can, you can get a hold of him through his website. Um, you can get a hold of me through my website. Um, and hopefully you have people in your life that love you and that you trust and you can talk to as well. But, uh, healing, healing is, definitely possible. Um, otherwise we wouldn't be here offering it to you. Um, it's definitely possible and it's definitely worthwhile. Um, there is definitely a better way to do life if you're struggling with an addiction. Um, and it doesn't have to be a, it doesn't have to be a story of guilt and shame and rejection, um, to get to a place of healing and to find a different way of doing life and a different way of coping with stress that is very real. So
1: Mm. Oh, could I jump in with one more thought? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Go for it. So, um, yeah, just I mean, speaking of hope, it's you know the kind of the picture I was painting was maybe kind of dire, as I'm talking about oh, it's this attachment failure and all this emotional overwhelm and all these things that are wrong in society and blah blah blah. All of that is true, but but the reality is, uh, for as many people as have compulsive behaviors and addictions and obsessions like this, hey, um, you're right there are a lot of resources. There's a lot of science. There's a lot of research. Um, there's a lot of people investing a lot into figuring this problem out. And, and there are lots of people that recover. There's so much hope. These, these struggles, when you're in it, you feel like you're alone and you feel like you're the only one and you feel like you're the worst one. The reality is, is you're part of a big community. You're no worse than anyone else. And the things you're going through, other people have gotten through them and gotten through them well, and you can get through them too. Just please do reach out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well done. And I think that's probably the best possible way to end this podcast. (laughs) So thank you, Reese, so much for taking the time to speak with us on this issue.
1: Well, thank you for bringing it out in the open.
0: Absolutely. You've been listening to TCK Care the Podcast with me, Stephen Black, as we share stories and strategies for supporting TCKs. Hosting and producing TCK Care the Podcast is a part of my ministry, which is made possible by the generous support of my financial partners. If you would like to make a one-time or recurring pledge, please go to TCKcare.com/slash give. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, rate it on your favorite podcast app, and stay tuned for more TCK Care coming up next week.